Lately, I felt a dryness in my spirit. And don't be alarmed. I think that we all go through periods in our life such as this. I'm not sure exactly how I got to this point, but I know that I've had some kind of random, unusual thoughts lately. I was uh, driving the other day, and this thought just kind of came to my mind. I know more scripture now and am more active in kingdom works than ever before, but I wonder if I was more pleasing to God when I knew less and loved more. On Sunday nights, we've been reading through Jesus' letters to the seven churches of the Revelation. And the words of condemnation are hard and weighty and frightening. And those churches were clearly missing the mark. And as I look around the church of America, I see so much of this church, that church, in the seven letters. And those letters are called works and action and purity and perseverance. But they're also a call to love. James taught us faith without works is dead, but works without love can just be going through the motions which will leave us dry and brittle. And works without love can even be idolatry. I realized I might have a problem at a recent praise and worship event we had on one Friday night not long ago. The music was absolutely wonderful. And at one point, we encouraged everyone to come and write on a whiteboard, a characteristic of, of God that caused them to worship. And one person wrote, God is love. And others wrote, my rock, shining light, God is enough. I wrote, God is patient and long-suffering, which he absolutely is. But it also reminded me that as I look inward, I tend to often see what's wrong, ways I've fallen short and mistakes that I've made. And these are the things that I tend to dwell on. But that night, the Spirit reminded me that God loves me fully, just as I am. That he desires me, hopes for me. He enjoys us is not ashamed of us, loves us perfectly, fully, always, and he will never stop. In one word, grace. We don't have to earn his love or our salvation. In fact, we cannot. Grace. It doesn't make sense because none of us have ever received this type of perfect grace from people. At our best, we give and receive only small reflections of what we have been given. And because it is almost too good to believe, I think that many have a hard time believing fully that the, the grace that has been lavished on us, and so we tend to fall back to trying to earn it, to deserve it, which can only leave us dry and brittle and futile because we have received perfect grace, grace from the one who stoops down. John 8, 6, but they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger wrote on the ground. Jesus stooped down to show compassion to one who was guilty. This wasn't the first time 
and it surely wasn't the last. He stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples. He stooped down to hug the children as they ran to him. He stooped down to pull up a floundering, faithless Peter out of the water before he drowned. He stooped down at a Roman whipping post. He stooped down to pick up his cross, or more accurately, my cross, the one I deserved, all out of perfect love. He even stooped down out of heaven. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But listen, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, out of love. I'll never forget my theology professor. I've told you at other times there have been moments when a professor would speak or I would read something in a class and everything would stop. Such a moment, this professor said, speaking of this passage, when we look into the face of Jesus, we look into the face of God. And we will never see Jesus more clearly than on the cross. Grace. Love. From the one who stoops down. From the one who condescends for you. Some might ask, what did Jesus accomplish through this act of stooping, of humility, of condescending? So many things, but, but here's one. The first one that came to my mind is he silenced the accuser before God. That Friday night on the board, I wrote patient and long-suffering because I don't think I'm alone, but I, I know that I tend to dwell on what's wrong, what I fall short in, the things that are broken, and sometimes I think of my past and I literally cringe. It just makes me cringe when I think of a failure, even from decades ago. But listen to Revelation 12 and 9. Listen, listen with your soul. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Listen, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. From the very beginning of creation, Satan fulfilled the role of prosecuting attorney. He had free reign to roam the earth, to watch over people, to see of their failures, and then to take those reports back to the throne of God and to accuse creation. He had free reign in heaven to call out before God, guilty, sinner, failure, condemned. Words that should make us all cringe. Except, except Jesus who is God 
who stooped down and picked up my cross. Jesus stooped down to pay for my sins, past, present, and future. And because the debt is paid in full, there is no need for a prosecuting attorney. No point of having an accuser. And he no longer has access to God, our Father. He no longer can accuse us. Because why? Because we are cleansed. Because we are the beloved of God. We tend to dwell on what's broken, but God sees us healed and whole. And just as there was no one left to indict the accused woman thrown before Jesus, there is no one to accuse you and me before God. So why then do we listen to the accuser? Broken? Damaged? Outcast? No. Never again. Instead of dwelling on what is broken, shouldn't we be dwelling on the fact that we have been set free? We have been made whole? I don't have to be anything. I don't have to be anything other than the one that God loves. And living in that single truth, I think, should change everything and should return life to dry bones. What did Jesus accomplish through this act of stooping? He gave us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, written five or six hundred years before the birth of Jesus, anticipating what he would do for the world. It said, moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It sounds like a heart transplant, doesn't it? One of my favorite authors is a man named Max Lucado, and maybe he is yours as well. He wrote some time ago these words. In the spring of 2010, 13-year-old Taylor Storch was involved in a skiing accident that took her life. It was every parent's worst nightmare, funeral, burial, a flood of questions and tears. They decided to donate Taylor's organs to needy patients, and few people were more in need of a heart than Patricia Winters. Her heart had began to fail five years earlier, leaving her too weak to do much more than to sleep. Taylor's heart gave Patricia a fresh start on life. Taylor's mother only had one request. She wanted to hear the heart of her daughter. So the parents flew from Dallas to Phoenix and went to Patricia's home. The two mothers embraced for a long time. Then Patricia offered them a stethoscope. When they listened to the healthy heart beating, whose heart did they hear? Did they not hear the still beating heart of their daughter? It indwells a different body, but the heart is the heart of their child. Cato concludes, and when God hears your heart, does he not hear the still 
beating heart of his son? When he looks at you, does he not look at you through the love he has for his son? Week after week, I could stand up here and preach about works, about doing, about being faithful and persevering, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But sometimes we just need to step back and remember that each one of you here today is the beloved of God and that he loves you perfectly, just as you are. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What if we truly believe that today? What if we truly believe the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17? In Christ we are new creatures. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What if we truly believe today? We just took a step and just opened our hearts to believe that we are the beloved of God. That we're not accused by our past. That the Father rejoices over you today. He rejoices over you. What if we truly believe that his love will never fail? That he desires us, that he hopes for us, that he enjoys us, that he's not ashamed, and that his perfect love will never cease? What if we lived in that grace, that, that freedom, Would it change the love and grace that we give because we've received so much? Would we live in joy and peace, which has always been God's plan for us? Jesus, the one who stooped for you, has given you a new heart, a fresh start that continues to work from the inside out. So that new heart, that new life, that new attitude, the new spirit might spread from your heart all the way out into your hands so that you might serve one another more richly and with more joy. That from our heart that he has given us this heart transplant, this fresh heart that it might move from our heart all the way to our lips in the way that we speak to one another, the way we encourage one another. The heart would just continue to grow and spread that love all the way to our feet so that we would go the heart would overflow all the way to our eyes working from the inside out so that the way that we see one another might be different Philippians 1:6 says he who began this good work in you, he will perfect it. That's what's going on from our heart, from the inside out, spreading, spreading to our extremities. Now some today might be waiting for me to emphasize the words of Jesus in verse 11. 
from now on, sin no more. And certainly these words are important. But even so, in my heart and my spirit, I don't hear these words as harsh or condemning. But rather, he speaks to me, go. From now on, sin no more. Because it places a barrier between us and our Heavenly Father. Go and sin no more because sin is self-destructive and the very heart of God aches for you when you hurt. Go. And without condemnation, how did the accused woman respond to such words? If church tradition is correct, this is the same woman in Luke 7.38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. This was the woman that didn't care about who saw her. All she wanted to do was express her love. This was the woman, while almost all of the apostles fled in terror, she stood with Jesus' mother at the cross. Why? Because someone had made her feel guilty because of fear, because of condemnation? Impossible. It was because of love. And because of the grace that she freely, fully received. It changed her. I pray it changes us. And gives life to dry bones. And fresh breath to weary lives. How do we respond? How do we respond today to the one who stoops for you? I don't think it's my place to tell you, other than just one word, love. Just love. Because just as a reminder, you are a precious and unique creation, the only one in all of existence. And so in that unique way that God has created you, Love. Respond to him not out of duty, surely not out of trying to earn his favor, but simply, wonderfully, richly love. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord. We come humbly before you. We pray for one another. We call out to you how desperately we need you. I know in my life, I don't think I'm alone that I can get so tangled up. I can get so busy that there are times that I just absolutely have got to come back to the very center of things. We come with hands open, with hearts open today, 
the only desire that your spirit might breathe a new wind through us, that we might know your presence, affirm your love for us today, and magnify our love for you. Forgive us for moving so fast and sometimes becoming so dry. We desire only to love you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.